Amen. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to talk about timeless testaments, the major stories of the Old Testament, and we're going to look at some uh, stories today revolving around Daniel. And I'm going to title this morning's message, The King's Table. The King's Table. How do we choose a life that satisfies? How do we choose a life that satisfies? Daniel chapter 1, verse 6. But uh, as we get in this morning, uh, the question I've been thinking this week about asking us today is simply this. Is God happy with your life? Uh, Is God happy with your life? What a great question to ask people on the street. Uh, as we as we go about our busy days, as people are hustling to and fro, and just to simply stop and say, do you think God is happy with your life? And what really is a life that is pleasing unto Him? And how do you live a life that is satisfying? What does it mean to have a satisfying life? And how do you live according to principles that God approves of? Uh, You know, I was thinking about things that we really have to learn how to navigate today in this modern age. I don't think it's really changed over the last centuries, but really things like this. As we ask that question, is God happy? How do you determine if he's happy or not? There's questions you're going to have to ask today. Things like, should I date him or her? How far is too far? Is, Is living together okay? Should I buy this? Or should I say that? Sometimes we get in trouble on that one. Or should I watch this? Is this is an okay movie? Is this is an okay video to watch? Is that something that God is happy about or is approving of? Or should I listen to that? Is that the right kind of music and those words in my mind? Are those things that God is approving of? Uh, or you think about things like, uh, should I take this job? Is that what God wants for my life? Or should I say yes to more overtime at the expense of my family. But my boss really wants me to do this, and it's kind of required everybody's doing it. So how do I navigate those situations and live a life that God is happy about? Maybe God, my boss wants me to do something that I don't feel comfortable with. Uh, so how do I tell them no and navigate that situation? Uh, how do I go through those work days when people are telling vulgar jokes in the, in the break room? And how do I navigate a situation and live a life that pleases God without trying to be, you know, I know that if I don't participate, they're going to shun me and think I'm too goody two-shoes, but how do I navigate this situation? Or maybe it's a a person that is a dishonest co-worker. Do I turn them in? Do I ignore it? What do I do? How do I navigate a situation, live a life that is pleasing unto God with dishonest co-workers or or backstabbing co-workers? How do I uh, navigate a situation like if I have a uh, an unappreciative neighbor or a neighbor who's uh, always picky about things in my neighborhood, or maybe they're inconsiderate about certain things. Maybe their dog is always in your roses or something. How do you, how do you navigate as a Christian the, all the things that may come along in your life and always live a life you could say, you know, I think God is happy with me today. I had a Sunday school teacher one time, and this, this question uh, or his comment never has always stuck with me, and he said his goal in life was to make God smile upon him, that when he got to the end of his life, that God would simply just smile and say, that's my boy. And, and just to say, wow, that's, that's kind of a good goal, that God would be happy with your life and all the crazy things that we might have to navigate. But I think sometimes in this life, what we, instead of thinking about this directional thing of God and God is, God, is my life pleasing to him, we begin to compare ourselves with other people and we begin to say, well, you know, uh, as a Christian goes... As an American goes, I'm not as bad 
as most people. In fact, I'm probably better than most. I have morals. I, I do this. Maybe I don't murder, kill people. I don't, I'm not just cussing people out. I'm not hate-filled. And we begin to say, well, you know, it's not so bad. I'm, I think God's pretty happy with me. You can pull people on the street, and they may not have attended church in years. They may uh, have uh, secret sins in their life, but they'll probably say, oh, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm, 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 God is happy with me. And one author said it this way. He said, you know, uh, in America, especially, we want the best of everything. And I think this is even in the church. We want the best of everything. It says, uh, we want to be a saint, but we also want to feel every sensation experienced by sinners. We want to be innocent and pure, but we also want to experience and taste all that this life has. We want to serve the poor. We want to have a simple lifestyle, but we also want all the comforts of the rich. We want to have the depth afforded by solitude and have that peace but we also don't want to miss anything. We want to pray, but we also want to watch television, read, talk to friends, and go out. He says, uh, it's a small wonder that life is often such a trying enterprise and that we're so often tired and overextended. Ronald Rollheiser said that in a book. We want the best of both worlds. And is God happy with my life? And how do I navigate Difficult situations, how do I navigate even awesome opportunities presented to me? And no, God, is this your very best? My Chi Alpha campus pastor, when I was a, a student on the University of Missouri, he said, the enemy of God's best is something good. He would say, Heath, there's a lot of good things out there that you could be doing, but is it God's best for your life? How do I know and how do I stand up for God's best in trying times. And we're going to look at the story of Daniel today. And Daniel, as a young man, had to choose between enjoying the best food the world had to offer or fasting for three years. Now think about this. He had to choose between enjoying the finest food or fasting for three years. And his story is about to illustrate that if we would not compromise our calling... God has a life that satisfies. How many people believe that today? That God has a life. He has a way, even if it looks different and difficult, He has a way that His way is most satisfying. So let's talk about serving and eating from the king's table today. Let me give you the background. Daniel chapter 1, verse 6. So Israel, the northern kingdom... Now, Israel has been separated into two. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is now Judah. Israel has just been taken away uh, by the nation of Assyria in 722 years before Christ, all right, 722 B.C. But then in 605 B.C., Babylon has come on the world stage. Babylon has taken out Assyria. And so now Babylon, we've lost the northern kingdom to Assyria, but now Babylon, the new empire of the world, has come and taken over Assyria. The ten tribes of the north are lost and gone. Now there's only two tribes in the south, the southern kingdom of Judah, and Babylon comes and besieges it. God gives them over to the enemy. And so under the king Nebuchadnezzar, we've probably heard this before. If, if you've uh, been in church any length of time, you've heard that name, or maybe even the world, you've heard that weird name, Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar has come, and he has laid siege to the southern kingdom of Judah. And on the first wave, this is the first deportation, it's called the first exile, uh, that, that they have taken this southern kingdom, Judah, and taken some of the treasures of the house of God, and taken some of the prominent young men, specifically from the nobles and the royals. Young men who were good-looking, young men who were handsome, and, and had wisdom and knowledge, and had a lot of potential. The best, the cream of the crop, the elite of Israel, and he stole them, and he would use them for his purpose. And Nebuchadnezzar would take some of these choice 
uh, elements from the temple of God, and he would set them in the house of his gods. And now he would take these young men, the choice, the cream of the crop, the most gifted, talented, anointed young men of Israel, and he would begin to use them for his purpose. And he would order his people to train these young men for three years. And for three years, he would educate them in the way, in the language of the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians. And he would say, hey, I'm going to educate them. They're going to get their bachelor's degree uh, in our way. They're going to come and understand our knowledge, our sciences, our philosophies, our, our, our beliefs. And he says, while they're there, they're going to receive the best teaching. And I'm going to feed them from my table, a great honor. Uh, and they're going to be studying under, under the best minds the world has ever seen. And so all of this is to leave all of their identity behind for a prominent position. Now look in Daniel chapter 1, verse 6. So you've got these young men who are saying, you're about to be offered. Your, your homeland is gone. Oh, that is past news. You've left your land. You've left your position. There's no, you, your, your career path is gone. Your potential in your own country is gone. Now you're about to be uh, some of the top elite in the national world, uh, the world stage, the, the biggest empire, the greatest empire the world's ever seen. You're about to serve the king. If you just buy into all that we're giving you, you're going to be some of the most well-known, richest, respected men in the world. The most powerful nation on earth, you're about to serve the greatest king ever to live. And that's the, that's the incentive here. Daniel chapter 1, verse 6. Now, I'm reading from the New American. Uh, now, among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then the commander of the officials signed them new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name of Belshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And so the commander of these officials, he's entrusted with the care of these boys. Uh, God moved on his heart, and, and, and he said, Daniel, you know, uh, if I do this, and you guys are, are weakly thin, man, uh, you can't, you know, this choice food, if you're not eating all the things the king's provided, you want to just eat uh, vegetables or lentils, which is like chickpeas and beans, and how many people like chickpeas and beans and all that? All right, maybe you would have survived, but he's saying, you're just going to eat on green beans and, and lentils and all this vegetable stuff and, and just water. You're going to be thin, and the king is going to say, I'm not doing my job. He's going to have my head. But Daniel uh, implored the man underneath him and said, just give us a 10-day window. Let us try for 10 days just to eat vegetables and water and see that something will not happen. And they did. He, God graciously allowed that favor, and he said for 10 days, and they came back, and 10 days later they saw that Daniel and his friends were healthier uh, and, and maybe even a little bit more fat than the other guys. And so they continued in that for three years. And because of their faithfulness, God gave them many more spiritual gifts. And at the end of their three years of their degree program, which you'll say, uh, the king interrogated them all. And he found them to be 10 times smarter, better, more gifted, more discerning than any of his top magicians in the entire nation. And so he promoted these young men to the top of the, 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 top of the food chain there of these young graduates, and God began to work in their life. I'm going to give you four things today that we can apply from this story, that we can say, I want to choose a life that satisfies. I want God to be happy with my life. I want to please Him in all respects. Uh, and how do we do that today, like Daniel did 
back then. The first thing I want to give you today is that Daniel had to know himself. Know thyself. That's the first thing you can write down today is that if you want to please God, if you want to choose a life that satisfies, one, you've got to know yourself. Uh, Daniel and his friends are a part of this royal, noble bloodline. They know who they are. They know where they come from. And in fact, they are uh, gifted men. They're skillful in wisdom, it says. They're handsome. They're knowledgeable. They're intelligent. They're competent in Daniel 1, 3 through 4. And so in sum, they have a lot of potential to be leaders. A lot of things that God wants to do and use in their life. They had a birthright. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got a birthright. You've got a birthright. They had a birthright. They had a destiny in their own country. But here's the deal. It's been stolen from them. That land that they were going to get from grandpa is not there anymore. That, that great potential to run for mayor or city council or president one day, it's not there anymore. Uh, that degree program they had, it's gone. It's been taken from them. Life has robbed them of what seemingly was their potential. Sometimes in this life, things may happen that the enemy comes in to steal, kill, destroy. And you may feel like things that you had planned were robbed from you. People you thought you would be in life, you, can, uh, you get to a certain age and you're like, I don't know if I thought I was going to be further along at this point in my life than I was before. Uh, and they're, they're taken away, they're robbed from mom and dad, they're robbed from grandma and grandpa, they're robbed from their degree programs, they're, they're robbed from everything they thought they'd have and any kind of potential. And life's plans have changed. So the question becomes, what's going what's gonna to become of me? What's going to become of my life? And, 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 and in that moment, there's no doubt these young men, these teenagers are thinking, well, I guess I've got to choose a different plan. This is the, the cards that life has dealt me, so what do I do? Maybe they're gonna lose, are they going to lose their way? Are they going to live up to their potential? Because now they're behind enemy lines. There was a, uh, years ago, maybe you remember it, but there was a, a radio talk show host, a sports guy, uh, who was offered $100,000 if he would change his last name uh, to one of the NBA teams. And uh, it was just even for a year. And they said, hey, we'll give you $100,000 if you can even donate, donate it to you, one of your best charities, your favorite charity. And he, turned, he, he said a lot of things. But he, in one clip of that, he turned to them and said, uh, I can't do that because, at one, it means that I would do anything for money. And, two, that my name is my birthright. It was important to him. Now, I don't know about you. How many people, you don't have to raise your hand, would you, just for $100,000, I let my name go for a year, right? Uh, some of us maybe would. But he, he said, no, my name is who I am. My name is my birthright, something that's passed down to me. Let me tell you something, Christian. Christian is your birthright. When you become a follower of Christ, he puts his name onto you. And you have something worth living for. And in this world today, this world, the Bible says, is the kingdom of man. It is Babylon. Babylon stands for the kingdom of man. But you and I have to remember today, as we navigate this complex world, we're not a part of the kingdom of man. Babylon is not my home. I have a birthright. And as I am going through this life, and as you and I are navigating some difficult circumstances, we may not feel like this is the place that's called home. But for now, this is where we are. And like Daniel and these young men, you and I have to determine, who am I? Do you know who you are in Jesus Christ? Can you stand in the midst of opposition in a world that is not your home, in a world that does not hold to the values of home, a world that does not hold to the principles of home, that does not have the love and the peace and the joy that your kingdom has where you're from? But you and I are saying, we're in this place today, a foreign nation, and do we know who we are? 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 8 in the New Living. I love this. I could read it in every translation. I could preach this every Sunday. But it says, you know, the people in this world, they stumble because they don't obey God's word. So they meet the fate that was planned for them. But he says, but guess what? You are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. So as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And and once you had no identity, get that, you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had no mercy, but now you've received no mercy. Do you know who you are? The devil is going to lie to you. He is going to come against you. You're going to feel lonely in this world. You're going to feel like you're out of place in your workplace, in your family. You can convert to Jesus Christ and your family disown you. You can stand apart in the middle of a darkened workplace and a darkened school. But if you want to get through this life, if you want to know that God is happy for, with you and that you are living a life that is pleasing unto God, number one, you have got to know who you are in Jesus Christ. He wants you to forget those things. He wants you not to know those things. And like Daniel, you and I, he's royalty. We are royal heirs with Christ, the Bible says. Daniel, he says that he had no defect. The Bible says that you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are righteous. When God looks at you, if you've confessed your life and found your identity in Jesus Christ, you have no spots, no wrinkle, no blemish because of the blood of the Lamb, that he sees the righteousness of Christ wrapping around you like a robe. He cannot see you as you once were, but he sees you as you are in his son. Somebody say amen to that. That's good news. And it says that Daniel had no defect, that we are the righteous. And it says that Daniel was gifted with wisdom and knowledge. You know what the Bible says that God gives us when we receive him? It says he gifts us with the Holy Spirit who continues to give gifts. And some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are discernment, are wisdom and knowledge. Look at that. That, that Daniel had those gifts, and the Bible says you too today have access into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when God sees you today, he sees you as a good-looking group of people who are a royal bloodline, who are gifted in knowledge and wisdom and discernment, and he sees great potential in you. God has great plans for you like he had for Daniel, and you have to believe that today. You have to know that to the core, otherwise we can stop the message right here. But you have got to know who God says you are. Amen. All right. Because the enemy knows who you are too. Look at this. you got to know yourself, but you also got to know the enemy. Look what the enemy began to do. He said, number one, I'm going to give them new knowledge. He says, we're going to train them in all the ways of our world. We're going to train them in the philosophies and the sciences and the education and the mystic arts and all these things. They're going to learn everything there is to know in this world that we have written all these textbooks. And we're going to use all their talents, all of their knowledge for our kingdom, for our benefit. Oh, there are so great many potential people out there who are using their gifts for the world. And they could be using their gifts for God. I hate it when we see some of these young, young people who have this great voice and they go start out as a Christian artist and they turn over into the world. They begin to use their gifts for the things of the world, but God had great potential for them. That's what, that's what the enemy sees here. And what he would do is he would promote them to advisors. And here's the goal, indoctrination. He would indoctrinate them. He would change their perception and their values on life. You know, the enemy today is trying to change the values through our school system, through education, through all the programs this world has, through entertainment. Change the values of things the world sees. Change the values on marriage. Change the values on love. Change the perception of what is right and wrong. And he began to change their values. 
He says, learn our ways, learn our philosophies, learn our language. And a sum, what is it? It's called brainwashing. The enemy began to say to them, hey, leave your purity for power. Leave your purity for pleasure. After all, think about it. Babylon was alluring. This is the greatest city at the time the world has ever seen. Huge walls, uh, prosperous, beautiful buildings, luxury uh, to the highest degree. And they had these things some people think was the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world. The most powerful king and military ever to walk the face of the earth. And it says, you get to serve in the capital. You get to have it all. People are going to fan you during the day. You're going to have the richest robes. You're going to eat the finest food. You're going to have be a part of the greatest thing man has ever made. It was alluring. It was captivating to a teenager. Hey, what a great honor. I came out of Podunkville, Louisiana, and I'm now going to be one of these great things in the world. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to be a name. People are going to know my name. It's going to be in lights. I mean, people are going to know me. They're going to write things about me. And Babylon's, uh, they, they begin to say this. This is what we want you to do. It's all alluring. It's all powerful. You're going to have wealth. You're going to have power. But here are these young men. They were called to serve the king of Judah. And now they're serving the king of Babylon. So he gives them new knowledge. Number two, he gives them new names. He would change all of their names. So Daniel, his name meant God is my judge. But you know what they change it? It would say to Belshazzar. Belshazzar meant that uh, Bel protects his life or uh, a prince of Baal. Baal, B-E-L, was one of the gods of, uh, one of the high gods of Babylon. So instead of saying, God is my judge, I'm a servant of God, it would say that uh, their god, Bel, B-E-L, uh, was, was the servant that I'm, I'm the guy, I'm his prince, I'm his servant, he protects me. They would change his name uh, and then they would change Hananiah. Hananiah meant Jehovah is gracious they would make him Shadrach, and Rach meant uh, Bel's, uh, Babylon's sun god and moon god. Mish- uh, Mishael meant who is like God. They'd make him Meshach, which meant who is like Shak, their earth goddess. They would change Azariah's name, which means Jehovah helps me, to Abednego, which means I'm a servant of the shining fire god. Why? Because think about this. Every time one of the Babylonians would call out to that name, what would they have to say? There is no God like Jehovah. They're, they're, God is the judge. They would have to say it over. Hey, Daniel, get over here. Oh, wait, that means God is my judge. We don't want to know that. We don't want to hear that. We want to say those words. And every time you would get up in the morning and somebody and your brother, you'd be, they'd be brushing their teeth and say, hey, Daniel, they'd be reminded, I know where I come from. I know who I am. God is my judge. God has been gracious to me. God, who is like Jehovah? Jehovah helps us. And they struck to remove every word of God from their identity. Is that not what the world is doing today? Everywhere across this nation and this empire, this western world that we call Babylon, I do, that says that we're removing God from courthouses, from schoolhouses, from uh, uh, marriage. We're removing God from everywhere because we don't even want to say His name. We don't want you to be reminded of who He is. We don't want to hear His voice. We want to take Him off our money. We're going to take Him off our license plates. We're going to take Him off of everything we can because we can't dare to remember that God is our judge. And God is the one who helps. And God is the one who saves. So they don't want to say their name. So they struck the mention of God out of their society. So they had no no new knowledge. Let's make new names. And said, now finally, let's give a new diet. Now Hebrews, these Jewish boys, were raised kosher. Meaning they couldn't eat certain things. They had to eat clean meats, not unclean meats. They had to be prepared a certain way. No blood. Had to be boiled and made a certain way. Couldn't touch any other thing. Couldn't have pork and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And there's a lot of things. There's a lot of rules about being kosher. And these boys leave that. 
they come to this place, and he says, we're going to give you the best filet mignon you've ever had. It's wrapped in bacon with a toothpick and an olive. I mean, it's going to be, it's just going to be all the garnishes. It's going to be everything you'd ever want to imagine. You're eating what the king eats. Ooh, what an honor, man. I could have filet mignon every day. It'd be like this buffet in college. We call it the freshman 20 at our college where I went to. It's called the freshman 20. It means you gain 20 pounds your freshman year because every meal on that campus is buffet. There's just anything you want to have. Every morning for breakfast, you can have bacon, eggs, grits, sausage, potatoes, uh, hash browns, whatever. You just go up there, you fill your plate, and you just every day. And so that's every day they could have the best food the world, the best chefs money could buy. It would be at their beck and call. You know it would be really hard to say no to that? Really hard. And the alternate choice was that they had to say, but what about who we are? Because Daniel and these young men knew the wine that the king would eat had earlier been offered to idols. The meat that they cooked had not been prepared kosher, and probably a lot of it was pork. They couldn't eat pork. I mean, that great Boston butt, you know, that pulled pork sandwich, they couldn't have all that. That bacon, they couldn't have it. All the things that they saw, and they, we can't do this. It would break the Mosaic law. But here's the deal, everybody's doing that. There's no other choice, Daniel. There's no other menu. There's not a kosher side uh, of this buffet line. You do it. This is what you have to do to become who the king wants you to be. This is what you got to do to receive that great reward. And how do you pass up all of this stuff, man? I mean, you just, I can imagine Daniel and those, those young men were seeing all these other people from all these other nations begin to eat and enjoy all this great food and say, man, what an honor it is to eat from the king's table. How great it is. Look, they're giving us education. They're giving us promotion. They're going to give us power and wealth. We're going to be advisors of the king in the greatest nation that's ever walked the face of the world. Would you just... Come on, the old thing is gone. You, you don't even live there anymore. You're not even Hebrews anymore. you got a new name. you got a new family. Your family may be dead. This is your nation now. This is who you are. Today, Babylon is doing the same exact thing, whether we realize it or not. Just participate. Just be a part. Like Adam and Eve, they receive baited food from the enemy. Oh, you know, maybe God's really not going to be... You surely won't die if you eat this. Surely it won't be bad to God. God knows who you are. God knows your heart. He knows if you just go along with it, you'll be okay. You know you really love God. It's okay. Just play along with all of us. Let's do all this together. Get along in society. Don't make any waves. Don't stand up and, you know, just be shh about the God thing and shh about the prayer thing. And, and you know, don't, you know you, I, it's okay if you believe in Jesus, but don't, don't make any waves over here. And, you know, you can have your Bible, but have it in your own personal time at home. Keep it in your car, your truck, whatever. Uh, but, but here's the bait. Adam and Eve took that same baited food from the enemy, and they ate and they partake it. And the same that today, the world and its ways are alluring to the eye. It is pleasing to the flesh that John says. He says that Satan, our enemy, uh, he wants to exploit the gifts and talents you have for God's kingdom. He wants to indoctrinate you, brainwash you. He wants to brainwash our children. And in Babel today, everything of God is being removed. And, and like Nebuchadnezzar, it's just saying this, follow me, I'll make you happy. Find love my way, I'll make you happy. Watch what these shows do. Watch these daytime TV. That's what you need. I'll provide all of your needs. Just get through that, uh, cut through those, uh, those things at work. You know, cut through that red tape, overlook that, go through there. I'll give you money and fame and power. You need to press in to be the most popular, uh, biggest, fittest person you can be. He wants to leave our purity for pleasure, leave our purity for power. And he says along the way, everybody's doing it. If you want to be accepted for it, you've got to. And adults, it's not just teenagers today. 
That's what they're facing every day, every Monday through Friday on online, social media. They're facing that all the time. Fit in. Look like this. Diet this way. Uh, alter your body this way. Do this. Get this haircut. Get this fashion. They, they get that all the time. But here, adults, it's the same thing. You want to fit into this employer? You got to do it this way. I know a good friend of mine uh, in the last several years that he was asked to cut corners in his job. It was going to cause safety issues. And he said, no, I cannot do that. And they fired him for standing up to say, I will not cut corners in this job. And they let him go. Christian, you may have to take a stand one day for godly principles. And you and I better get ready because the day and the hour is coming where there's going to be a moment in your life where you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to live a life that is satisfying? Am I going to live a life that is pleasing to God no matter what it costs me? Common life in America today is so many times idolatrous, and so many people, they just see it as small little matters. Oh, it's just a little bit of knowledge. Oh, it's just a new name. Oh, it's just a new diet. Everybody's doing it. But maybe the enemy has come to steal who we are. Why is the church so weak and weird? We no longer pray. We don't read our Bibles. We're getting divorced like everybody's getting divorced. We're addicted to the same things the world is addicted to because we're not standing up when the world is saying, just settle down and fade in. Go along with the program. Like the Casting Crown song, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. But Ephesians 6.11 reminds us, put on the full armor of God that you can what? Make your stand against the devil's what? His schemes. Babylon is a schemer. And the devil is doing the same thing he did in Daniel's day that he's doing today. And if you're not aware of it, then you need to open your eyes to see, Lord, help me not to be consumed by the entertainment the world's entertained by. Lord, help me not to fall into the status quo that the world is falling into. Help me, Lord, not to follow the program because that's the world's program. God, help me to stand up for righteousness in my home, in my heart, and in my family. That's a good amen right there. If I'm standing up, I shouldn't be watching what everybody else is watching. I shouldn't be listening to what everybody else is listening to. I shouldn't be saying what everybody else is saying. I should say, Lord, I know who I am, and I know this is not my home. Amen. So what did Daniel do? They changed his name, but one author says they didn't change his nature. Ooh, I like that. They can change your name. They can call you all kinds of things. Every name in the book, with, except for Christian and Christ follower and disciple, but they're not going to change your nature. He didn't forget that Daniel was his name and it meant God was his judge and he would answer to God one day. So Daniel, it says he decided to take a stand. He knew that serving the king of Babylon was a demotion to serving the king of kings. Isn't that true? Serving the things of this world is a demotion. I don't care what kind of promotion you get in this world. It is a demotion compared to serving the king of kings. And so you and I have to take that moment. He said, I would rather please the Lord than be popular. I remember on a, Christian, on a university campus when I was a, a psych major, uh, I, we were in our uh, abnormal psych class, so we were studying schizophrenia and things like that. And, and I remember one day uh, another guy came in, a professor, so a guest professor came in, a lecturer came in, and here we are, we're about to learn bipolar disorder and uh, schizophrenia and all these types of things. We're trying to learn, you know, about the brain and the mind. And this guy comes in, he said, this is our guest lecture for today. You know what he began to teach on? He opened up uh, his book, and he had a Bible there. And he began to teach on why homosexuality is not in the Bible. He began to quote all kinds of things about Hebrew texts and scholars and references. And all these young, there's about 25, 35 young people in the class. Here I am, a, I'm a freshman or a sophomore on the university campus, raised in a Christian home. And I'm sitting there. These are professors, PhDs. 
guest lecturers in a huge 35,000-person college. And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking around the room, and I'm thinking, what in the world does this have to do with psychology? And who is this guy? But yet all of the young people, not one of us stood up, including myself, because who am I to question this man? And I just sat there taking it in and thinking, my gosh, this is not true. And then you get to the thing, and he's going all these texts and all these things and all these citations and all these popular names that would tell you why that original text does not say that, and it meant this word and not that word, and how popular people and scholarly today are redefining what we agree on the Bible and all these kind of things, and they just took it all in. And by the end of that, I began to question myself, too. I wonder, well, maybe I have been learning it wrong all these years. Who am I? I just grew up in church. I went to Sunday school. That's about it. But I can't read Greek. I can't read Hebrew. I don't know. These are all famous people. These are all popular people. They know more than I do. And so I began to have to study it out myself. And I looked back in that day, and I said, I wish I could have just stood up and rebuked him in the name of Jesus. But I was 18 years old. I was timid. I didn't know any better. And I look back today, and I get mad How dare you, devil, try to do things that are scheming like that? And I want to be able to be, and today I know that I wouldn't handle it. Uh, But back then, that's what the enemy is doing. Daniel was a teenager. He was a young person. It would be so easy to go along with the program. And your boss may be intimidating. Your family may be intimidating. That situation, that circumstance may be intimidating to you today. But we have to have a resolve in our heart. Enough has to be enough at some point. And Daniel got to that moment in his mind, and he, had two, he did two things. Number one, it says he made up his mind. Literally, it says that he set his heart upon it. He determined in his heart he had a line in the sand he would not cross. You can take my name. You can take my country. You can call me all kinds of things, but I will not go against God's word. Amen. This is too far, and I'm not going to do it. And if it meant him dying or being uh, demoted or kicked out of the program or whatever it meant, he said, I set my heart. Even if it means standing alone or being killed, I'm going to say no to what God says no to, even if it is the very best the world has to offer. It could be the best degree, the best program, the best riches, whatever it is. Proverbs 16, verse 8 says, It better is to have a little with righteousness than to have great income with injustice. It's better to be poor and righteous than be wealthy and unrighteous. Better to have a little with God than a much in hell. Amen. So it says he made up his mind. And number two, he sought peace. He didn't go and just pick at the line. He didn't go yell at him and he didn't go chew him out like sometimes we feel like we need to do. He actually tried for peace first. The Bible says that seek peace and pursue it. If so much as it depends on you, have peace with all people. He had a gentle spirit, a lowly spirit. So what did he do? Before he got out there and just said, no, I'm not going to do this, and you can fire me if you want to, he said, let me just talk to him first. And God had a gracious spirit, a humble spirit, a meek spirit on Daniel, like we should today. And he tried, he says, can I please, I'm going to seek permission, can I abstain from eating what everybody else eats? And God, because of his heart, granted him favor. We should be meek. We should be humble. We should be lowly. And Daniel illustrates that. He know, uh, we're not to be a pushy Christian. And because of that, God had grace on the situation. And God caused favor. He says, well, let me think about it. Let's try something. Maybe we can work something out. And God may begin to do that in your workplace, in your family, in your schools. If we would just say, yes, God, no matter what they say, though, I've made up my mind. How do we stand today? 
You know, Spurgeon once said this. He said, if I thought I could save every soul in this place by making the slightest compromise with my conscience, I would dare not do it in the sight of the living God. If I would just make one compromise and get somebody to heaven, I wouldn't do it because I know that God has called me to faithfulness and obedience. The Bible says that if we would practice righteousness, if we were born of God, we wouldn't sin willfully. If we would love our brothers, if we would be making up our mind to say no to unholy things. If the Bible says in Romans 6 that we should consider ourselves dead to sin, alive to God, that we don't choose those things. We don't want those things anymore. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Moses even said, I'm going to choose the ill treatment with God's people over the passing pleasures of everything in Egypt. I would rather be a homeless, wandering nomad if it meant following God than being the highest in the kingdom of Egypt and having all the pleasures of sin. I would say yes to God and no to the other. Romans 12 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to the schemes of this world. There should be some checks in our spirit and say, God, I don't need to watch that stuff. God, this music isn't glorify you. I'm not, I'm, I'm not listening to that. I'm not going to give you a rule. I'm not going to give you a list of these are the songs, these are the movies, these are the things, these are the things you should do, shouldn't do. You know because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he should tell you, this is what I should do, and this is what I shouldn't do. And I should say, yes, Lord, I know your word. I'm listening to it, and I'm taking a stand in my heart, in my family, in my workplace, in my school to say, God, I'm going to stand even if I have to stand alone. And so what does he do? He, so he knows himself. He knows the enemy. He takes a stand. And then it says that he endured the test. He was in a test. Daniel knew that God would provide. He acted in faith. He said, yeah, just see, just try this. He knew that God's will was the best, even, it meant, even if it was meaning being in opposition, because he was hungrier for God than he was the things of this world. And so he says, hey, try us for 10 days, and I'm going to endure the whole three years eating beans and chickpeas and, and all these other kinds of things and peanuts. I'll eat all of that for three years if it means that I get to stay close to God. If I can be obedient to him, I don't care the cost. I'll sit by that guy eating filet mignon and eat my peanuts, and I'll say, God satisfies me. I can sit next to the people that got the boats and the careers and the education. They got notoriety. They got fame. And I can sit there and I can eat my peanuts and say, yeah, but God satisfies me. Come on, somebody. That I can stand in the midst when all the people are cursing and, and going to these movies and listening to these songs. They're having fun. They're having a blast. And they fit in. And they hang out with one another. And I can have no friends. I can have no money. I can have no notoriety. And I can say, but yes, God satisfies me. And guess what? The Babylonians watch these young men eat their peanuts and their chickpeas while they're eating their steak and stay the same weight and health and vitality and be more gifted and more anointed and more educated than they were. And they were amazed. Three years goes by of them eating nothing but beans and peas and nuts. And it says that they looked at them and they interrogated them interrogated them. They put them on the stand and the king himself questioned them and all of their knowledge and all their education and all their wisdom. And they stood amazed. How can these boys be so good at what they do? You see, it wasn't about their food. It was about their faith. There was no special thing in those chickpeas, even though they're good for you. 
There was no special thing in those peanuts or those lima beans or those pinto beans or those black beans. There, wasn't, there was no special thing in all that, but it was their faith that held true to God and said, God, I will take a stand. I will endure the test, and I'm going to prove that God's way, that my king's table feeds better than your king's table. That my God is most fulfilling because I know that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And so God will reward them with many spiritual gifts. He would exalt them. But I, you know, for us today to realize that Daniel was tried by the world. You are on trial today. Do you know that? They want to know, are you sure your God's way is most satisfying? I see you eating those peanuts. They don't look very good. It looks like I'm missing out on a lot of things in this life. I can see you eating those chickpeas and all that stuff. I can see you just going through things that don't look fun. I can see you being put through the ringer and leaving your homeland and your country, and you feel alone, you look isolated, you look like nobody likes you, and you don't fit in. But why is it that your way is working? Why is it that your marriage is more happy? Why is it that your family seems more blessed? Why is it that you are healthier, smarter, more vibrant? You have more knowledge and discernment than anybody else in this world. Why is your way working? Because I am standing up for the things of God. Church, that's what we've got to do. He has a way of filling the hungry and the thirsty soul with better things. The Bible says if we would just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, we would be filled. We would have everything needed that we, that we ever could possibly need in this world. Say, so Daniel wanted his righteousness. He wanted his right standing with God and said, God, if I've got to sit by all these people and smell all that food, I'm going to hold on to one thing that I know my God satisfies. I've got a king who is the king of kings. And he's the one that I serve. And I am feasting at my king's table. I may be in the presence of my enemies. I may go through the valley of the shadow of death. But Lord, you prepare a table before me. That I'm sitting there. I can just think, Daniel is just meditating. He's sitting there. He's eating his nuts and his beans. They're eating all this great things, all the food around. And he's just saying, but my God is a God that satisfies. My king is the king of all kings. He is the ancient of days. He is the alpha and the omega. There is no God like my God. My God is my judge. And I'm going to call you Hananiah. And I'm going to call you, uh, uh, and I'm not calling you all these names of the world, but I know that God is gracious, that he's my help, he's my supply. And so I'm holding on, and I'm going to live this fasted life from the things of the world. Do we have a fasted life today? A fasted life that satisfies better than anything this world can give. Isaiah 58 tells us what that fasted life should look like. It says that it is a person who humbles themselves before God. It is a person who is interested in loosing the bonds of wickedness. It's a person who is willing to undo heavy yokes. It's a person who's interested in letting the oppressed go free. A fasted life means giving to the hungry, welcoming in the homeless, clothing the naked, helping your neighbors. And through being an example to all those who are watching, we can determine and declare our king has the best food. Which king's table are you eating from today? Which king's table are you eating from today? Are you choosing a life that most satisfies? Worship team, would you come? Are we standing up? Do we know who we are?
Do we know the enemy's schemes? And will we endure the test? Father God, we welcome you in this place today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, we need you in this place.